0: Welcome to week three in our intro to our ministry year, which of course is wild because we've never had a ministry year start virtually. We started this series out of the early part of Exodus for one critical reason. Sometimes, like I've shared, when we as Christians know what is to come, what God is going to do, what the end looks like, we begin to long for, pine for, yearn for, and move on to what we think the better season is. But we need the now, this season, to actually do the next thing that God is going to ask this church to do. Like I've shared before, Noah knew what the ark would look like. He knew how devastating the storm would be, but he had to prepare and live in the middle, live with the impossible. No rain for how long? Only with promises and faith. And so the same with us as a local church. As I preached two weeks ago, the end is clear. The God-given vision... To Sanctus Church is laser-focused. The promises are given to us. They're yes and amen. But we still, as a church, find ourselves trapped today with no obvious doors out or any way to get out. So I want all of us who belong to Sanctus Church And I want us to understand this. We are going to pray and act in this season, not just hoping for the next season. And and that's why the Holy Spirit prompted us to begin our journey this year out of the early part of Exodus. As we've been seeing in the early part of Exodus, the people of God are living in a bad moment with a hopeful anticipation, maybe for a next moment. We've been learning and hearing and being formed by God's word and learning from God's people as they went through three moments of God action before freedom, how God worked in that chapter to prepare for the next chapter. So I'm gonna say it again. We're living in COVID-19, we're all wearing masks. Uh, We have children are trying to go back to school and it's total chaos. We're living in global financial uncertain times. We're not sure how and what the church will fully look like in the next run. We still are going through ongoing racial tension, political fraying at new levels that are gonna have, well, massive implications. And again, the conspiracy theories online are so concerning, especially how many Christians are buying into them. And yet, just like the Hebrew people and us, God still acts in the difficult, scary trap moment to move us to the next moment. So the question we must all truly ask is, where is God moving today? Not just where is God going to move tomorrow? Let me say that again. The critical question we need to ask is, where is God moving in this COVID season now today as a church? Not just where he's going to take us tomorrow. Okay, let me recap the famed story that we've been accessing so far. Exodus 2.23. Remember, the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out in their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and he was concerned about them. So how does God respond? Remember, he calls Moses week one. Moses argues with God, tells him five reasons why he can't do this, right in front of the living presence of God. He's not a good choice. The battle is unwinnable. I've failed already. This will never go anywhere. God undoes each and every fear and sends him to do his will. Moses has five excuses. We as a church probably have a hundred. Very reluctantly, Moses and then Aaron joins him. They go and they confront Pharaoh. Pharaoh will not let his people go. Warning is given time and time again because God says, I own these people, not you. Israel is God's firstborn only son and has been stolen. And God, like we found out last week, is met with rebellion. God is met with hubris. And so, with lots of mourning but no repentance, God says, Not one, not two, not three, not five, but 10 plagues. The Nile turns to blood. (laughs) frogs, gnats, flies, dead animals, sores, hailstones, locusts, and unnatural darkness for three days. Each one of these is a direct challenge to Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's authority. But as we learned last week, each one of these also was a judgment on specific gods within the pantheon of the religion of Egypt. And so the people of Egypt, of course, would have prayed to their gods and asked for help, and there was no answer. The true living God was declaring these gods false, not trustworthy and defeated. And what was the result by the of the first nine plagues? Well, Pharaoh digs his heels in. No matter the cost to his people, his economy, his own family, he will not yield. He will not give in. So then the famed Passover takes place. Where the angel of death goes across Egypt and takes the firstborn son of every family. And also even it says the cattle. But the Jews are protected. Hundreds of thousands or more, I don't know, die. Millions of animals, I don't know, could have died in one night. But in that same night, something happens that we had never seen so far. Possibly up to a million people are saved. This is the answer of the Hebrew cry for freedom. The end of slavery after 430 years. And as the Hebrew people left that night, surrounded by the wailing of the Egyptians, like we learned in the first week, the Egyptians even gave them their wealth. (laughs) And in the middle of that moment, God was going to do another new thing. Never seen or known up to this point, but I need to remind us as we get going, all of this is still happening in the trapped season, in the unwinnable season, the no way out season. And actually, as we're about to read, things are going to move from great to worse immediately. But before they do, something profound happens, which a lot of us who grew up in church never think about. God does for all of his people what he did for Moses personally at the burning bush. His personal physical presence is felt, seen, and experienced by everyone in the Jewish community, both men and women, boys and girls. Even their animals, their possessions are in the light of God, which of course is a foreshadow of what God was going to do later through Jesus in the church. They all encounter the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We read this in Exodus thirteen twenty-one. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way by night, a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of all the people. Now, I've preached this many times before. Let me do it again. This cloud, fire, lightning thing is called the Shekinah glory of God. This is the literal, physical, palpable presence of God, the dwelling place or the dwelling presence of God. God is omnipresent everywhere, but He becomes palpable. He's close and seen in part. This exact presence shows up again when Moses is given the Ten Commandments. When he dedicates the tabernacle, the cloud comes down. When Solomon dedicates the temple later, the cloud comes down. It's the same fire that comes and consumes the altar when Elijah faces down the pale prophets in 1 Kings 18. It's the same overwhelming light and fire and brilliance that overcomes Isaiah and Ezekiel, the great prophets, when they're called to become prophets. It's the same blinding glory that the shepherds experience when the angels proclaim that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, has been born. It's the same cloud that comes down when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and, and, and Elijah and Moses are with him. And amazingly, Peter, James, and John experience this. This is the same experience that takes place in Acts chapter 2, when the fire comes down like tongues of fire. It's the same light that Stephen looks into just before the first Christian dies. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, when he dies, that's what takes place. And the conversion from Saul to Paul. So God, not just a father, but a great father, a faithful God, the one who remembers his promises, comes to literally, physically be among his people and comfort his people. The Holy Spirit comes and guides them 24 hours a day, fire and cloud. God is among them, protecting, freeing, leading. Well, freedom and seeing God all in 24 hours is a lot for people who've heard nothing for 400 years. And so these former slaves, it says, travel for three days, and they actually arrive at this amazing place. Literally, the door is open. Right in front of them is the desert, and they can enter into the desert and get out of Egyptian territory and be free. The door's in front of them. It's open. Finally, the season's going to be over. All the chaos of the season. We've prayed for this for so long. Let's go. And then God does something so unhelpful so non-strategic, something so unrational, like an epic major leadership mistake, and crushes the hopes of his own people. It says in Exodus 14, 1, Then God said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back. They're to encamp by the sea directly opposite baal Zephon. I want you, as you're literally at the door to the next season, to go back, I'm choosing to move you backwards to place you in the most dangerous of situations. I want you to stay in the trapped room. I want you to stay in the no way out season. I, I need you to stay in this season. I want you to stay in Egyptian territory, and I know you want bad, out bad, you want out badly, but actually, I need you to wait just a little longer. And we're reading this, and I'm sure they're experiencing going what. We finally had hope. Our mental health was getting better. Our faith had never been stronger. God, you're with us. You've answered our prayers. And then you're going to dash our dreams and hopes of getting out of this crazy season? Yes. God says, go and I want you to camp in front of the Sea of Papyrus, the Red Sea. And then God meets with Moses and says, to this, says this to him in verse 3. See, Pharaoh is going to think these Israelites are wandering around in the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. Pharaoh's going to say, these people are so stupid. (laughs) They're only slaves. They have no real leadership. Look where they've ended up. They've got mountains, a mountain chain on one side. They've got the sea on the other side. And now we're going to have them. But see, God's always in control. God always wins. God's glory is first and foremost always there and never touched. So then God says this in verse 4. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And he's going to pursue the people. And I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am God. So the Israelites did this. Now, now we need to pause. It says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So what does that mean? Is God the author of evil? No, no if you read Exodus from chapter 5 through 14, 18 times it refers to Pharaoh's heart being hardened. So this is a big deal. So what does it mean that God hardened Pharaoh's heart? Well, if you read carefully, the pattern becomes clear. Pharaoh says, I'm going to harden my own heart. And then God says, I'm going to harden your heart. God, when when hardening happens, God allows us to follow the path we want Within our own heart, he allows us to go down the wrong way. He removes his hands of grace, and the heart grows cold and hard. Read Romans 1. All human beings have done this. It's God not stopping Pharaoh from his own decisions. And God says, when Pharaoh does this, and when he acts, he is going to know. Because remember in chapter 5, he says, I don't know who God is. He says, I'm going I'm to reveal fully, I am the Lord. And I'm even going to use your rebellion for my own glory. For who is like me on earth, and who's like me in the heavens, and who's like me under the sea? No one, no one, no one. See, no one can touch my glory. Well, verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and lost their services, that's a kind way of saying their slavery, after, think about this, how crazy this is, after a mass burial of all the firstborn children, their sons, after grieving such loss, after economic devastation, after literally the economy falling apart, the story takes a dark turn, and they say, why should a great nation, a superpower, in the truest sense, be afraid of some mixed rabble of indentured slaves, these Jews? Pharaoh is so full of pain and bitterness and vengeance and anger and religious pride. He's been humiliated by a foreign God. He's been humiliated by slaves. He's been humiliated by his adopted great grandson. He's been humiliated by the loss of his own son. So he chooses to act. And yet he's blind. He could not see his actions were touching God's glory. It was his enslavement of the Jewish people that brought this on because they were never his in the first place. It was his proclamation that he is a God that brought this on, because he's not a God, he's just a human being. It was him who brought this on. But he says, no, it's Moses' fault, it's Yahweh's fault, and so he acts. Now, is he convinced this God is real? Of course. Does he, is he convinced this God has great power? Yes, but his heart is hard. It has not changed. There is no turning, there is no conversion. Oh, let me just stop, and let me just say to all of us watching online, either on Sunday or long after a Sunday, All sorts of people can know about God, can even witness his power, but still not convert and be changed. Churches are filled with these people. Uh, Pharaoh says, I want my slaves back. I want my economy back. I want my financial comfort back. And I want my dignity back. So I'm going to show these little slaves. So he had his chariot made ready. He took his army with him and Pharaoh approached. The Israelites looked up and there was the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified and they cried out to God. Can you imagine this? The Jews are now encamped by the sea. They're sitting, trying to understand freedom they never thought they'd ever get. For the first time in their lives, they did not have to work without pay. For the first time in their lives, there was no routine grounded in justice. And as they sat by the water, free, suddenly in the distance, a rumble. Soon they understood it. It's the Egyptian army coming, chariots and foot soldiers. This would be like tanks. Actually, let me bring it even closer to home. This would be like the United States truly deciding to invade us as Canadians. Now, we always laugh about that as Canadians. But honestly, if the Americans truly decided to bring all their military to bear, we'd be overcome in seconds. And that's exactly what's going to happen between the Egyptians and the Jews. The enemy is coming. Slavery and death incarnate. Years of slavery and physical bondage is just around the corner. But worse, they don't even know if they're going to become slaves again. This might become a holocaust. They just might slaughter them all. So fear begins to spread, greatly alarmed, shut in uh, on the east by the sea, west high mountains, the Egyptians are behind them. They're literally hemmed in and trapped. There's no way way out. And remember, God put them here. Fear begins to distort their memory, arousing passion. Now, as the enemy draws close, it says they prayed. But within the same breath of them praying, In the next breath, they show they don't believe God's going to do anything. Now, everyone listen. 72 hours later, they've lost all confidence in God. Three days. They had just seen the nine plagues. They had just experienced the Passover. And remember this. We say this all the time as Christians. Oh, if Jesus was just sitting in the room with me physically, I'd obey him more and everything would be okay. No. The physical presence of God was among them. They literally just had to look up and God's presence was there. So ready? The presence is there. The plagues have happened. They're free. And they still don't believe God's going to help them. So they come to Moses, verse 11, and said, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to this desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt We're all going to die. And by the way, it's your fault. And you're the worst leader in history. And our mothers and our babies are going to be cut in half and cut down by these chariots. And just like, this is your fault. They said, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. We shouldn't have done this. We shouldn't have prayed for God's help. Freedom is too risky. There's no need to change. Better to have bondage than faith, slavery than death. I hate being a slave. I hate it all, but I'm used to it. Huh. Better to be in pain and better not to be free and not know God than risk and actually have to have faith and trust God. Oh, I, I know God's done so much. I've seen his power. I've seen his answered prayers. I've seen God. I literally looking up and seeing him, but actually, You're asking me to fully trust him? No, no, it's better to be a safe slave than a free people living on the edge. I'm used to slavery, so I need to go back to my former life. I need to shake hands with the devil again. Moses answered the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm. You will see the deliverance of the Lord and he's going to bring it today. The Egyptians you see today, right now, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be Still. God is a mighty warrior, and salvation is always His work. He starts it, He sustains it, He gives it. Remember, you cannot, I cannot, we cannot lift a little finger to work out salvation. All you have to do is what? Accept what God has done for you. Stop, be still, and watch God do it all. Now, we know in times of panic and fear that humans have three natural reactions, instinctually. We fight, or we run, flight, or some of us just freeze and panic. All three of those are actions, and God says, no fighting, no running, no freezing, just stand still. Keep quiet, trust. So in this moment of all moments, in the middle of faith and grand unbelief, where everything's on the line, Moses goes back to pray one last time to check in with God. And I love what God says to Moses. Why are you crying out to me? Why are you praying? Tell the Israelites to move on. Move your donkey. Get going. In other words, he says, My ears are filled with your prayers, but I've already answered those prayers. So now you need to obey me. You have the information. So now act in trust. The promise. Is yes and amen. Moses, organize my people and get going. And by the way, this is the difference between praying and commanding. We always pray. And if God promises something, and He doesn't always, but if He does, then we need to act. God basically says to Moses, stop praying. I've given you my credit card. You can't use my credit card all the time, but you can buy this thing. Go do this thing. He says, raise your staff. Verse 16, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Moses, you need to step out in faith. God has promised everything, but Moses as the leader, as the representative of God, he needs to raise the staff first. He needs to act in faith first. You still must step out and walk, but you don't need to fight. God says, I'm going to save you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to judge your enemies. See, God is not just our guide, everyone. He also is our guardian. God is our warrior. So then it says in verse 19, the angel of God who'd been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud also moved from in front of them and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. God becomes the physical barrier Darkness for the Egyptians, light for the Israelites. So Moses, verse 21, stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry ground. And the waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Can you feel and sense it in your mind? a mix of light and darkness, a massive, fired, filled cloud behind you, a sea being split in half in front of you. You hear the howling wind being sprayed by the walls of water as you walk through. Moses is outstretched with his arms and all the people, maybe up to a million, pass through a dry gap to the other side. They move through the sea. But Pharaoh will not give up and will not give in. The Egyptians pursued them, and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots followed them into that gap, into the sea. And during the last watch of the night, because God's walking with the people, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw them into confusion. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters will flow back over the Egyptians and the chariots and the horsemen. Not one of them survived. Now, this real historic moment, of course, is one of the greatest foreshadows of our faith. This is our salvation story. This last moment of slavery was God opening one door and closing another one forever behind. Now, maybe you've never heard this story and you've lots of things about it. Maybe you've only heard it once or twice. Many of us who group in church have heard it in parts many times. Question we ask every week. What is the same God who split that Red Sea and talked to Moses saying to us as a church in this COVID season, in this trap season right now? Well, first, if you today are a seeker, a skeptic on the fence about Jesus or faith, in other words, you're not a Christian or you're a Christian in name only, or you're part part of another faith or no faith at all. What I'm about to share now goes way beyond a COVID moment or the cultural chaos we're facing. See, this is the picture of every human being. Every human being on earth is under Egypt's bondage spiritually. We are under the power and we are enslaved to, and we cannot overcome death or want to sin or Satan. Without Jesus, we're dead in sin. None of us can avoid death or overcome it. Death is 100% guaranteed. And The Bible says every human being on earth, deeply religious or not, and everyone in between is positionally owned by Satan because he's the God of this world. And all of us can't stop sinning. We've tried for thousands of years, and we keep doing it. Yet God looks in mercy and sees us in our bondage, sees us in our slavery, and sees us sitting in our Egypts, and sends the greater Moses to lead us out. And his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus is not just a better exodus. He is the new exodus. Jesus, personally, through his life, death, and resurrection, and his work, comes and confronts the Pharaoh of sin, the Pharaoh of death, and the Pharaoh of Satan. And he breaks the power of all of them. See, Jesus also doesn't just do that. He also is the Passover lamb. When he died on the cross, that blood becomes the blood that is posted over the doorposts of our life. And we get saved and covered and owned and loved and we're made into, his, in, into God's people. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. It's why Peter said in 1 Peter 1:18, For you know that it was not with perishable things like silver or gold. You were redeemed... That's a slavery word bought out of slavery from an empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. And so when death finally comes and you are a Christian, if you become one, Jesus's blood covers you and death does not win because you'll be raised from the dead. When Pharaoh comes to try taking us back, he can't because Jesus is our rear guard. See, Jesus is the greater Moses. Jesus is the Passover lamb. And Jesus leads us and commands us through the Red Sea. And oh, by the way, this is amazing. The Red Sea is the great foreshadow of Christian water baptism. Notice what happens. After the Israelites were already saved, then they got baptized. The inward experience becomes outward. Ready? And this is so important. They already were given salvation at Passover. They already were God's people. They already had God's people's promise. They already marked by God in the blood of the lamb. The blood's covering was over them. The judgment had already passed. They are already exiting Egypt. So baptism is the sign of what's already happened to you. Covered, redeemed, those who have left Pharaoh in Egypt. And by the way, if you have never Talk to Jesus Christ, who reveals God fully, about your sin problem, about your fear of death or the reality of death or the power of Satan. And you want to be free of not one, but all three of them. You need to literally say, Jesus Christ of the Bible, I need your salvation. Set me free from these things. I need you to come like Moses and get us out. I need your covering over my life. I turn from my old life and I accept you as Savior and Lord. Introduce me to God. Set me free. I repent of my sin. And by the way, if you've never done that, and literally you're watching this online, you can actually ask one of the online prayer people or pastors to talk to you. Or if you're watching this on demand later or years later on a podcast, just reach out in some way and we can speak to you about that. For we who are Christians, there are two critical things out of this passage that we need to embrace. The first is this, we need to start building a holy history in this moment. See, God sent the Israelites to that tight space. And God has allowed this space we're in right now. And sometimes God sends his community into environments where either we have faith or we fail. He moves us to see his hand, our need for him. So we individually, we as families or as a church can begin to not only see his hand now, but begin to build a robust family, holy history. So it will help us later Generations later, David demonstrates this. David was in a terrible, terrible place. And watch what he does. This is the power of testimony, to use an old word. Psalm 77:1. I cried out for God's help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night I stretched out my untiring, untiring hands and my soul refused to be comforted. Then I thought, this is what I will appeal to, the years of the right hand of the Lord most high. I'll remember the deeds of God. Yes, I'll remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. Your earth, the earth trembled and quaked. Ready? Your path led through the sea your way through the mighty waters, your footprints, though they were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Ready? When David was in a terrible place, he went back to this act where God had worked for his ancestors and said, if God is like that then, God is still like that today. Here's my question to you. In the last six months of COVID is everything's gone sideways. If you're a Christian, have you written down the answered prayers? That God has done. Have you answered written down what God has done in your life, what he's revealed as chaff, and actually isn't that important? Have you written down the power of what you begin to discover through God's word in this season? Are you writing down a holy history so that when you are in a difficult time, 10 years from now, you'll be able to say, "But I remember how God worked during COVID." I remember when God was working profoundly, even with all that racial tension. I remember how God was working, even in the financial uncertainty. See, write down what God is burning away from you, or teaching you, or answering prayers, because this is important, not just for you. This becomes important also that you get to share with others in your connect group, and and your kids, or maybe even people who are not born yet that will be born and years later when you're older, you'll sit with them. And you'll say, you know, I know you're going through a difficult time, but let me tell you how God worked in our culture, in our church during this very difficult time. Use this time to write a holy history, it matters. But here's the last and most important thing I end here. Sanctus church, what is God actually saying to us as a local church? What blocked, tightly shut, can never be opened door is God about to open to our church in this moment? Let me put it like this. Could this local church actually grow even in this chaotic lockdown moment? Could we as Sanctus Church, as 20% of churches are about to or have closed their doors, think about this, As thousands of churches across North America are preparing to have funeral services, not for people in their church, but actually for their own selves, could Sanctus Church grow as there are funerals everywhere and lockdowns are everywhere and bring more resurrection life? The answer is yes, yes, yes. And I'm not just saying this because I'm supposed to say this as a pastor, or I'm trying to stir up some emotion, or I'm just the vision guy. No, no, no. Much deeper than that. Some of you are going, but John, all the doors are closed. We can't even fully meet. Well, There's all this chaos. Well, yeah. But let me encourage you. Let's just watch God do his thing. See, my suspicion, no, it's stronger than suspicion. I know. God is about to move in a very unexpected way in this church. And I believe what God is about to say to us, with no real open doors at all, is exactly what God (laughs) said to Moses and the Israelites. Why are you praying and crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Next Sunday, Dave and I are going to take talk about a full reopening plan, a new very significant door that might be opening, is opening, That could actually move us quicker to what we thought God has called us to do in this time. And we're gonna continue to address biblical multiculturalism and how to move forward with that well in this time of great uncertainty. Is any of this gonna be easy? No. Will it take God to move? Oh, absolutely. Will we have to step out in ways this church has never done before? Yes. And by the way, For me, saying that is a huge thing because if you've been part of this church more than two years, you know how many times we've had to step out and do things most churches don't. Well, we have to take God's promises to our church to heart and for real and at face value, yes. And act on them, yes. But I just want to say this, not because it's some bumper sticker or or Instagram moment. The best is yet to come for real. And though there is no clear door to walk through, as Dave and I are going to share next week, a door is about to open. And we're going to be able to reach more and see God do what he wants to do. So why don't we just end with prayer like this? God, thanks you're still sovereign. Thanks that you're with us in closed moments, trapped moments. Thank you for the season we're in. We as a church haven't done this. Thank you for this season. Thank you that you've placed us here. We pray for people watching right now who have never encountered Jesus and his work. And maybe as life or economic security or health has been stripped away, now they'll see their need for God. We pray every person who's not met God will meet Him through Jesus Christ, even right now as I'm speaking and repent and find life. I pray for holy histories to begin to be built by many people, to write down what God has done so they can share with others. And we now pray as a church together that you would now, open the Red Sea, an impossible door, so more people can be reached and more freedom can be found. We literally ask this in Jesus' name. And we all said together, uh, amen. Well, I hope you tune in next week because Dave and I are going to sit together six feet apart (laughs) and we're going to talk very practically how we're going to try to move forward in this very uncertain uh, time. I'm genuinely uh, excited Because as we've prayed and talked and reoriented, God has begun to reveal some things I never expected. But it's good. So join us next week if you love, care for, or are connected to Sanctus Church. We'll see you then. God bless you.